All right, so we like to start usually the lessons with kind of a case study, a scenario to kind of give us some context behind what we're, we're talking about here. And so this is somewhat of a common one. Um, so let's look at Johnny in an introduction. Johnny's a relatively new Christian, and he has this fresh zeal for the Word. When he opens the Scriptures, he's drawn to its teachings, and he savors each and every word. However, confusion begins to ensue, and his liberal religious studies professor begins to speak of the bias of the biblical writers. The professor conjectures that the authors of Scripture use the Bible as a vehicle to promote the ethical morality of the Jewish culture that did not have the knowledge and sophisticated ideas which modern science and psychology have introduced. Thus, to call homosexuality immoral is the fruit of this first century bias. We must read the Bible through a modern lens to get the fuller picture of the love and the mercy of God. This is kind of a scenario. It's being confronted, right? Notice the professor didn't say, You're, the Bible's wrong, right? He tries to give an alternate way of interpreting it. So what are some assumptions? Right? We've talked about like how to approach the Bible. What are some assumptions that we see at this professor? Or maybe similar ones, like what are they making? things differently. Kind of going off of what Gabe said, he's kind of assuming that God's morality improved over time as well. Mm -hmm. That what was at that time is no, no longer the same. Mm -hmm. So what would you, what, what advice might you give Johnny is, like how should he regard the proper procedure in contrast to maybe the way that professors Or sorry, I skipped one. How would you respond to the professor's argument? Okay, let's go back. Johnny's in class. <laughs> right? I remember very much my freshman year, same same thing. I had a English comp, whatever class that's yeah. what it was in. Yeah. But we all have these freshmen. How what should Johnny say? How could she he maybe approach this professor? <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, it kind of exposes, there's a sort of an assumption that when he says um, the authors of scripture, you know, had these, they weren't quite right, they weren't, didn't have the modern knowledge. So it assumes that all purely human authors, so Johnny could bring up the spiritual um, interaction of the Holy Spirit. Um, I can see from Johnny's perspective, asking him, you know, so when did it become less relevant? At what point was it relevant <laughs> up until, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, pushing them on the details, right? Yeah. Be, can you Why? be really specific? What happened? Yeah, trying to figure out more. When, when, how modern do we need, need to be? 
Mm-hmm. Like people were pushing against this epic then. So mm-hmm. that argument that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Like they still thought it was biased to them. So it's not really a new argument that he's making. Yeah. Yeah, trying to trying to hold the professor's view of kind of separating now versus then to say it's there's not that much different in a sense of it. That's good. The professor has a bias of his own too. Yeah. That's right. Who's to say that his bias is any better than the author's bias? That's right. Oh go ahead. Professor is he's teaching a religious plural studies. Uh-huh. He's not only teaching about biblical Christianity. Right. So his perspective is all of these are wrong. Yeah, that's right. That's great. I think uh, I was I kind of identify with what you said. I, I thinking back through the the professor's author. I was thinking uh, maybe you as a professor are using the Bible as a vehicle to promote the. <coughs> ethical morality of today, you know, like it, he's basically doing the very thing that he's criticizing, right? He's promoting his own. Well, why does he think they need a fuller picture of the love and mercy of God? It's pretty clear in scripture. Like, God is merciful and he loves people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it might be a great place to start so asking him why, right? What, what's missing that you feel like you have to I hope that you guys are all uh, students in, this, mm-hmm. in the class with Johnny's professor. Well, and I think the other thing Johnny can say is the real difference is relational. Is that his relationship and who he understands God to be mm-hmm. establishes what the Bible means to him as opposed to the professor who doesn't have that relational mm-hmm. concept. Yeah, very much so. Like the, the state of his soul, right? right his own hatred or love of God is going to impact the way you use. So if, let's say, we're in Johnny's place, so he leaves, maybe there's a classmate who's also in there, and they leave, maybe another believer, and they leave, and then they, they are questioning and working through, okay, we know that the, right, they've, they've heard and made some of these objections, so my question, right, how would you advise Johnny, right, if, if we know we're not doing that, what what were some good tips or, or guides that you could give him about maybe kind of reviewing the last few things we've talked about, understanding how to go about the procedure of interpreting the Bible or studying the Bible, things to avoid that maybe the professor was doing. From what the professor's saying is you don't want to impose yourself on the Bible, let it speak for itself. Mm-hmm. If you're going mm-hmm. looking for what you want to say, you'll eventually find it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bringing your own modern lens, right? That's good. Letting the Bible speak for itself is a good, good place. And having a high view of God includes having a high view of Scripture. Yeah. Trusting that what it says is true. Mm-hmm. Not feeling like what Lauren said that there's need. There's a need to update. That there's a need to change, but. So yeah, that's just, it's a common thing um, we've talked about like in the previous lesson that God gave us his word um, and by the Holy Spirit he gives us the ability to understand it. And so we're kind of want to, in this lesson, get into like the specifics. So how do we put that into practice? 
we've been talking more in principle before, and so just going kind of step by step, what's a good process or procedure for studying the word? So, right, in this lesson we'll discuss how do we prepare ourselves, right, how do we proceed with the method, and we want to intend, hear it as it was intended and get the true meaning. So, there's kind of four main points to, to that, if you look there below, we've got receive, uh, which you guys brought up, right, receiving the word as it stands, letting the Bible speak for itself. Read it, right, you must read it and observe what it says, which is sometimes we can skip over that a little bit. Uh, reflect, you must reflect and Contemplate the passage to get what, what its meaning is saying. And then four, right, relate it or apply it, right? How does this affect, what is the impact does this have on your life? And so we're going to take a few different texts and kind of practice and talk through and think through that, all right? So when it comes to receiving, let's, somebody want to get Isaiah 66, 2 here at the, the bottom of that page. Yeah, Nathan. For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. <clears throat> but to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and humble that word. Yeah, so anything kind of stand out to you? What's the, the posture or the attitude of the one? Who's reading or receiving the word? What's their attitude or how are they receiving it? Humble and contrite. Yeah, humble and contrite and trembling, right? So that's kind of our place that we are underneath the Word of God, that when there's misunderstanding, confusion, um, there's a sense where we don't seem to understand what's going on, what's being said, right? It's, it's our job to fit ourselves under, to seek to be taught and guided and instructed by the Word. And um, we need to put ourselves under that authority. What are some alternate ways that we can maybe approach the word you've seen that can not be as helpful? Puffed up, <clears throat> up and haughty. Mm -hmm. Which leads to all kinds of misinterpretation, right? Assuming that there's errors or things. Mm -hmm. Well, let's, and that can kind of come from, we see in 1 Corinthians 2. Right, First Corinthians. We've read First Corinthians two a couple times in here in the previous lessons, talking about the natural man, the spiritual man. Um, somebody want to read there, uh, two fourteen. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. Yeah. So you can almost imagine it somewhat as like a, you know, different gateways or different barriers that this first one of our posture, how we're going to receive it, that's like the very first one. And if we can't make it through that, right, none of the other things are going to matter. If a person has that haughty, proud spirit, if they're a natural man, they can read the text, they can reflect on the text, they can do all these other procedures but their heart, right? What does it say specifically about the, the natural man here? Cannot understand. Cannot understand. Because? Spiritually appraised. They're spiritually appraised. So we need the spirit to understand, to reveal to us. You know, and Jesus many times said, you know, there are many who have eyes but cannot see, ears that cannot hear, hearts that have become dull. 
And you know, a lot of that is tied to their own desires, right? It says that it does not accept the things of God. So there's a sense in which when we reject God, that leads to our inability to understand what he said. Forgive me, I'm having a hard time with this passage. Uh, I'm, I'm not following exactly what spiritually is praise. Just uh, kind of... Yeah, if you want, let's go flip to the context of First Corinthians real quick. It's a great passage. It'd be great to kind of read through. If you ever... It's always an encouraging passage for me as well. Um, when I've often talked with people about what the scriptures say, and it seems frustrating because it seems like it's very clear, the explanation, the text seems very clear, but there just is this brick wall that you just can't seem to get through, that is, people are, are coming to a different interpretation. Okay, so... In, uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, he's talking, uh, Paul's talking about how he proclaimed Christ and him crucified. And about, he doesn't speak um, in, in verse 6, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But what, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have the Spirit, not of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And that brings us to our, our verse that we were talking about. The natural person, this is in contrast to what he was describing, how spiritual uh, we've been given the Holy Spirit. The Spirit helps us to understand the things of God, the mind of God. The natural person, right, this is us before we were saved, right, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So I just think about there's many, many things that maybe I had heard when the scriptures were read as a believer, but they were folly to me. They meant, made no sense in my view of the world apart from God opposed to him. I think to discern is an easier word to understand than appraise. Mm -hmm. Okay, instead of spiritually appraise, spirit, spiritually discerned. Does anybody have any other words there? Discerned or appraised? You're looking at in the, the end there. One of the things we do oftentimes is look at maybe that original word and how it's translated in different ways. ministry beforehand mm -hmm. and I would read the Bible because that's what you know, you're supposed to do right but there was a real difference when I read the Bible after I became a Christian um, yeah. almost like you know the Lord is speaking to me instead mm -hmm. of so just because I think people can read the Bible and kind of understand the basic message because they have if you read Shakespeare 
Yeah. I'm saying you can comprehend it, but there mm -hmm. is a there's a sense where the spirit works with the word in a unique way, mm -hmm. where it really is the voice of God speaking to you at that point, and that's not something um, somebody who's outside mm -hmm. of the faith can really understand. Yeah. And it's interesting to wonder, to try and think back, like, and the, the when it talks about the the thoughts of God, you know, who can understand them but the Spirit of God? Like, you can know things about a person by observing them, right? But but their thoughts come through revealing when they speak to you and talk to you about who they are. Yeah. And so in a sense, you know, almost think about that, his, that historical study of Jesus. I mean, there's a sense in which you can observe external facts. There was this man, Jesus, there were these disciples. But to really understand what he said, what he taught, who he was, um, he needs to reveal that to us. I think the scripture that Live and active, and that mm -hmm. that was very much what happened with me. Is I'd read a lot of scripture that mm -hmm. didn't mean anything to me mm -hmm. until I was born again, and then the Spirit was just constantly revealing mm -hmm. what God was saying in the scriptures that I had read, um, and it became very alive to me. It, mm -hmm. it was not just words anymore. Yeah, yeah. I've often wondered. Uh, if they're, because oftentimes when that happens, I often wonder, have I have I heard this before? You know, like, because it seems like I this I've never seen this in there, but you think sometimes I have to have read this or come across this before. So yeah, very true. So that's that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Why is it important to be born again when you study the Bible? That it's through the Spirit. Um, what about this objection? Right? So if you look at the Bible as a religious book, then you cannot know and understand it historically. Right? In other words, you'll be biased as to the authority and the accuracy. What would you, what would you say there? That your belief in it kind of like colors your ability to rightly mm -hmm. understand what it means, where it came from, the historical context. Almost say, yeah, on the contrary, <laughs> um, when you place yourself under it, under the authority of it in that way, and and look at it as a religious book, it is intended to be looked at mm -hmm. that way. That's what it is. That's mm -hmm. the kind of book it is, and so you're going to understand that history even better. Hmm. You're saying that your your belief in it helps you to rightly receive it in the way it was mm -hmm. intended. Discern those historical events. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Other things? I think that argument cuts both ways, where if somebody doesn't believe in it, well, you're disbelieving in it, but obviously. Right. Because you do look at something like, thus saith the Lord, and say, come on. Mm -hmm. It says it's a miracle, but the, we know I know those don't happen, so yeah. this must be mm -hmm. something else that's going on. true and I think that's whenever we talk about objections that people have many times uh, a great exercise is just to practice observing how that person is that person that's making the objection are they submitting themselves to the same critique that yeah. they're they're giving you mm -hmm. so obviously this person is not they're elevating themselves outside of well you're biased not me though right so 
if are they willing to submit to the same critique? Is it always a good test to see? Yeah. But I think when somebody kind of comes up with this critique about what it doesn't say, what it doesn't mean, mm -hmm. and they basically strip it down to its studs, it's like, mm -hmm. well, what is the message that was supposed to be conveyed? Right. And I remember talking to a friend of mine who became a Christian, and initially when he was reading the Bible, he was reading it with a real cynicism because mm -hmm. you know he's a right. He's like a biochemist or something like that. And so every time there's a miracle, he just says, oh, come on. And he just couldn't mm -hmm. get anything out of it because he kept on doubting it and deconstructing it. Mm -hmm. And then he decided, you know, I'm going to just read it in the way it was mm -hmm. intended. Mm -hmm. Like, this stuff really happened. And it was really interesting to see. Like, he eventually converted, and now he doesn't have a problem with that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it just reminds me, I don't know, and maybe this, if you guys have kids or siblings, little, little brothers or sisters, um, but you might compare it, like, teach, I'm a high school teacher, and so many times I tell people that 90% of the difficulties I have are um, getting students in a position where they have a desire and want to learn what it is that's being taught. And once they're in that position, it's really not that difficult to teach those things. Um, or to make progress from where they're at to, to learning more. And all of them are different spots, and they all... But the most difficult place is when a student is, has no desire and is kind of like, I, I'm, I don't want what you're, you're handing out. And so there's no real... None of the things that I'm doing really make any difference. In the same way, if we're in a position where we're critical, we're not in a place to really learn what the scriptures are saying. I had a situation with a I was, a I was not a Christian in school, but we were at a reunion together and I was talking to her about the fact that we'd become Christians and how they changed our lives. Mm -hmm. She looked at me and she, and she was she was a brilliant, she had a photographic memory, she was that person I hated studying <laughs> because she knew it all while I was trying to get it. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she said, you've just checked your brains in at the door, haven't you? Because you're just not, you're not using your brains anymore. So she she was so intellectual. Mm -hmm. She she felt like because I understood the Bible that I was mm -hmm. that I had left my brain somewhere. Mm -hmm. So and and I had I had two situations like that. A friend of mine who was in nursing school the same time I was, um, you know, basically said, you know, you 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 just abandoned everything that you mm -hmm. possibly could be thinking is correct. So yeah. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's, in those cases, um, I, I don't have the quote with me, but it's important sometimes to point out that, say we're in the physical sciences, and there's, um, there's many who have very plainly and clearly pointed out that, say, whether you're talking about biological evolution or Big Bang or just how to explain things without God, that there's a, there's a non-scientific commitment to saying we have to come up with a way of explaining the world in purely physical means. And regardless of how absurd or crazy that seems, it's not necessarily that science is pointing us to that, it's that we're committed to not allowing a divine foot to ever come in the door, mm -hmm. right? And so there's just as much of a commitment that's yeah. saying whatever the answer is, that it can't involve God. So you're setting up the game in a sense that, so you, oftentimes you can ask, um, 
is this a is this a question? Does science answer the question of does God exist? And most of them will say, you know, well we've def we've already set out and defined the rules to say we assume that to begin with that there is no God that influences, and so they kind of cuts both ways. If you assume that there isn't, then you can't say you're answering that question at the same time. So, but a lot of times those discussions, right? We have to d go deep into the what are their assumptions that they're they're making as they come and approach the work because they have their own set of assumptions behind how they're interpreting the world. So um, one of the things that we have to be very careful of, and this is particularly when we come to people who are reading, studying, or teaching something with regards to the Bible, is this idea of uh, eisegesis. We talked about a little bit the other in the previous lesson. Where we're saying exegesis, right? What's exegesis mean? Drawing out. Drawing out, right? There's meaning is in the text. We want to draw it out. And so what we see a lot of times, especially from those who um, want to claim some of the truth of the scriptures, but want to have, kind of sit above and be in authority, is that um, it's this, this process of forcing your own view or understanding or bias, if you want to use that language, uh, forcing it into the Bible to fit their, their grid. So let's look at an example of this. Um, so Romans 1, it's a part of a text where uh, Paul is talking in verses 26 and 27. Someone read there, he's talking about uh, men and women and how they are reacting. Verse 26 and 27. Romans 1, 26 through 27. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. All right, so let's look at that example. So pro-homosexual theologians advocate that Paul is condemning certain homosexual acts, right? just not, not homosexuality, or the homosexual, but... They're not even the responsible practice of homosexual <coughs> behavior. So they're saying this, what Paul's really saying, whether he knew it or not, right? We now know that some people just constitutionally prefer members of the same sex. They experience no attraction to members of the opposite sex. Therefore, we must distinguish between the invert and the pervert, between inversion and perversion. Perverts are not genuinely homosexual. They engage in homosexual practices, although they are heterosexuals or they commit heterosexual acts, though they are homosexuals. Inverts, on the other hand, are constitutionally gay. Their sexual orientation is the inverse of heterosexuals. And for them, engaging in homosexual acts is normal. So in Romans 1, Paul condemns perversion, not inversion. That is a, an actual interpretation, an actual interpretation <clears throat> of Romans 1. OK. Here we go. Now, don't not all at once. <laughs> so, what are some things that you see that are kind of, and and it's hard to tell exactly because, like we said, this not all uh, arguments are you know new under the sun. But what are some modern ideas that this these interpreters are putting back in there? You're saying like a monogamous homosexual relationship is not sin. That's one. Yes. And I think they're going further than that when they say that he's not condemning homosexuality in general, so not the attraction, 
not the uh, claiming the identity. Um, so there's even a broader, deeper. What well, else? I'm curious to know, do these people follow this logic on other sin issues as well? Like, like do they condemn that uh, being drunk is a sin, but if you're a true alcoholic, not a sin? Not a sin. I mean, it's a good <laughs> if you were born that way, yeah, but that's what I like. Do they follow that logic on other things too, or is it just this case? Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I think that's important to remember, like up above where it says, um, you know, exegetes force the Bible to fit into their preconceived grid. Oftentimes, it's not an intellectual grid, right? It's a grid of desire, and so whatever interpretation allows them to get the meaning that they want is the one that we'll choose. And so, um, you know, intellectual consistency is often very elusive. Mm-hmm. You're trying to stretch it to fit what you want. Kelly, we were talking about earlier, even with the bias. Um, kind of like someone trying to defend communism. You just haven't done true communism. You know, right. It's always been perverted. Right. So, but if you do it properly, yeah. and it's whatever you want in your own right. desire, like you're saying, mm-hmm. done properly, yeah. Yeah, the modern. What, oh, you see, just look at the argument. What are some modern things you can k- kind of pick apart? Because we want to get used to not just being picked apart, right? But being able to reflect that same critical to the opposite. Gabe, what do you think? I think the word invert might be one of those modern terms that was fabricated to rebrand the whole issue and mm-hmm. make it seem less of a. Oh, this seems wrong because it's the old word, mm-hmm. but we're going to create a new one. Yeah. That seems like they're trying to lessen a blow there. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, kind of talks about what Krista said. Like if it's, we had this, well, it was just for a time. There was a time where genetics made a difference, right? And that was the argument was people were born gay or homosexual. And so that's what, but now we're getting away from that because then we don't want the genetics to matter anymore, and, right? So there's a little bit of lack of consistency. Yeah, because genetics can now be coded. They, they you know, we are finding out that's not true. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> um, and sometimes, sometimes there's a there's some digging that require that you can dig into at like where are you getting this? Why are you getting this? That may you may direct them back to scriptural truth. Well, yes, there may be people who desire have homosexual desires. There's people who desire to have adulterous affairs. There's desires to have to view pornography. There's all of these desires that. Right, point to the sinful nature of our heart, that are seeking to fulfill you know, our own desires apart from the way that God has, has created us. And so there's sometimes, dependent upon the, the person, that you may try and interact, but again, that, that posture. Um, so, okay, how does this grade against the historical grammatical interpretation? So, remember we talked about that before, right? We're trying to view it historically, grammatically, in the previous lesson, so when we look at this interpretation, what are some rules kind of that we're breaking here that we said we should always do this or that? Can you remind us a little bit? Yes, yes, okay. So historical, what we're saying is that um, when the author wrote the words of scripture, that author was writing to a specific audience. And the meaning of that scripture should be, we should seek to find the original intent of the author and receive it in the way that the original audience would have received it from that original author. 
based on their time period, their language, their grammar, in a sense that we can go back, what it meant then is still what it means today, and we're applying that truth in, in the modern context. So based on kind of that principle, what, what ways are we kind of failing to do that? Maybe a natural from the, where do we see natural? Is it in the argument or in the text? In the text. In the text, right? So starting by looking at the words that are used in the text. And you can go all the way back to the beginning and how God created man and woman and the specific purpose he gave them. Mm -hmm. Looking at the context from what the original author and readers would have been familiar with in terms of what they viewed, what, was, what did natural mean? Well, then in the argument it says, whether he knew it or not, we now know. And he meant people constitutionally. So it's disregarding that whole natural thing there as well in the argument that, mm -hmm. that he didn't know what he was talking about, that right. he didn't know what he was really saying. Assuming the ignorance of the past and the brilliance of the present. Mm -hmm. It's often interesting that um, people feel like instead of, you know, Sometimes they'll kind of view it this way, you know, that down here we're ignorant. And over time, right, we're gaining insight. But, you know, you, you'll ask them, well, when, when did we reach the top, right? Because all along the way, you know, every century you've got, like, changing views, changing views. But they always want to place themselves and say, although we, our view is that, you know, everyone in the past has been ignorant, right? Mm -hmm. 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 500 years ago. And we've made this progress. But when they get to the present, they're going to say, well, it's finally stopped. Right? Now, right, instead of saying, well, what makes you say that you're not, are you okay with it in tomorrow or 10 years from now? Have, if they're consistent, our morality is going to be different. You know, not, nothing is um, set in stone, I guess. That's them. And so it kind of is self-defeating. Self in that sense that, well, you can believe that today, but by your logic, tomorrow or the next day, we might be different. And at what point are we most enlightened? And, or at what point do you realize there's nothing new under the sun? Yeah. That there is, there is that that um, homosexuality is when all this has been elicited today. Mm -hmm. In a sense in which that um, doesn't really talk about um, how so homosexuality was viewed or talked about or discussed in that area kind of gl glosses over that in this interpretation. They didn't know anything about it, basically. And today we know all of this. Well, if you look at the context, too, I mean, in the previous verse, it says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And so you can't just take this two verses out and say, oh, this is what it means without going back to the scripture. Good, okay, and yeah. And looking at the context of what does it say before and after those yeah. two verses. Yeah, so that's the, that's, we're getting back into that historical grammatical, right? So there's the audience, there's the author, there's the context, right? Context is what? King. king. Context is king, right? So every word is like, what do we mean by natural, right? That word is defined by its context. Those verses are defined by this paragraph. The paragraph is defined by the book. And so the further context that we get, we're going to get greater meaning. Okay, so if we keep going here, it's going to show 
not only the bias of the interpreters, but um, we, we can be guilty of the same thing when we grab a verse out and just say, you know, I can do all things through Christ, so I'm going to win this football game tonight. This, that's my personal, I always think this, that's my verse, right? If I just draw out a verse that points to what, you know, to, uh, in, in God, all, all the, the answers are yes. Or, you know, I'm like trying to pull out, find places that affirm. So, um, when we think about what we can do, right, to develop this disposition of receptivity, what do we need to keep in mind? about ourselves. When you go to the text, what's there, what are some important things to remember about yourself, about your mind, about your heart? I, I try to not say I know and then repeat the verse after that because it's like you're automatically going in thinking you know something about it. Mm -hmm. You're not really humbling it before that. So not trying to approach first. it kind of yeah. in a fresh way? Yeah, it's just something that I do because, yeah, I'm, I'm relatively very new. I get a lot of this. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that's, I, I try not to assert something mm -hmm. on there that I don't know. Yeah. And just remembering that we all come with our own desires, mm -hmm. um, elevation of self, all of these things that we through our sin comes mm -hmm. to scripture with and we always want it to make us look good. Right. Yeah. Good. Remembering I need God to help me understand things mm -hmm. already understand everything. Right. It's like when I it's different when I tell my you know, one of my kids to okay, go do your lesson for school or if I say, Okay, we're gonna sit down together. Go through. I'm going to be here, kind of explaining, right? So we approach it with an idea and understanding that the Holy Spirit, right, allows me and teaches me, and the Holy Spirit's there for me to ask when I don't understand. I think just remembering that sometimes we can have our own agenda and um, what we want to believe. And often people will accuse somebody, you know, the reason why you believe this verse is because you're a bigot, right? Mm -hmm. You have your agenda. But, you know, the other thing, too, is, you know, let's say you're a college student or a high school student, or let's say you're a parent and your your son has come out as, mm -hmm. as gay, um, and you're trying to make sense of all of this. Mm -hmm. There can be um, an agenda there, mm -hmm. right? And so, and agendas do cut both ways, but mm -hmm. there is a sense where... I need to understand maybe which way my um, my bias is pulling, mm -hmm. and and just because an, an interpretation might agree with your bias doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong, mm -hmm. but your bias can't really drive it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think yeah, just and it's not necessarily for for me. Many times it's not just recognizing like do I have bias. It's like I have a belief system, like Dave said, I'm, we're all bringing who we are, everything we've read, everything we've studied, who we are as a church, right? everything, we bring all that to the text. And we kind of acknowledge that at the very beginning when we're talking about critiques of scripture, that in order to understand it, right, it's a supernatural event that God pushes through and uses all those things 
to explain and teach us like scripture. But um, like in this specific example of uh, this passage, again, um, depending upon right your history, your time period, your culture, all those things are going to have an impact on the way that we interpret it. So just recognizing that at the outset, right? It may not be that you have a whole checklist of how I'm going to approach it. Just we acknowledge it. We recognize it. So that's kind of the whole, gets us through the, the positioning, right? That we need to receive the word, need to be in that position. So the next thing, right, we get a little bit more technical, right? Well, the second thing is we need to read it, right? We need to read it. So you must read and observe what it says. So Ezra 7.10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Okay, so how do we summarize the difference between, right, studying and reading? What's the difference? Studying the scriptures versus reading the scriptures. Is studying kind of like reading plus, and there's a lot in the plus? Okay. Yeah, some things you say studying requires reading it. Yeah, but reading doesn't necessarily include studying. That's actually a good question. <laughs> reading, you're just reading it. You're consuming what it says, kind of just taking what at face value. Mm -hmm. You're just kind of getting whatever surface level is there. Mm -hmm. Studying, you're trying to actually know what what the meaning is, what's mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. You go through like a textbook, you read it. If you you catch it first skip through, great. Right. But 9 out of 10, you're going to have to look at the examples. You're going to yeah. learn a little deeper to have a full knowledge of it, not just mm -hmm. the text itself. Mm -hmm. Is there a difference between an experience and an investigation? A little bit like, more. Tell me a little bit more. Like when you read it, you know, words flow through your brain, but you don't catch all of them, you know? Mm -hmm. It feels good when you're reading it. Mm -hmm. when you're, you're having an experience. It, yeah. Yeah, but when you investigate it, you're looking for something. You're look, mm -hmm. looking for what it's saying. You have to dig. Pay attention to all the details and the clues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good. I think looking at word definitions, I think that goes into what Jason <coughs> says, is how the word was used, looking up the Greek, looking, you know, just looking further into context. Mm -hmm. um, what, was, what, what was going on historically? Mm -hmm. Sometimes that means looking at a commentary or study notes in a Bible, so it's more than, you know, you're taking the time to actually dig deep into the mm -hmm. one, one difference, uh, if you've ever seen, um, just, there's, there's lots of different uh, visual optical illusions where you look at it and it just, something doesn't seem right, mm -hmm. and you really have to you don't understand what's going on in your brain because it, it's got this strange, it's drawn in a certain way. And so, to me, like, when I look closely, I'm looking for, like, what is, what's causing the problem in my brain? Why, why am I, why does it look one way, but it's really another? And so, like, when I read, I, I think that there's a sense in which our brains are very, they're trained and skilled at taking the words and, like, building a meaning as quickly as possible, right, to help it make sense. And sometimes 
we don't take the time to like look carefully at each individual part of like, am I constructing the right meaning? Because oftentimes when we, in order to make a quick meaning, we kind of fill it in the gaps to make it fit the way that we, what we think it means. So whether it's a specific verse or a paragraph. We read it once, okay, based on my knowledge of the context and everything I know up to this point, this is what it means. Instead of thinking carefully about each individual word. Yeah. Or you go to an art gallery and you look at the Mona Lisa and it's like, oh, that's pretty. That's pretty. And you just go to the next one. And, I mean, and, and if that's true, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of these great works of art, um, they're pretty pictures. But um, I think studying is you kind of understand what makes it a great work of art. Mm -hmm. Or what makes something a great work of literature as opposed to, that's an interesting story. Yeah, I don't remember what it was. Uh, it's a lesson or something we've done where it's the story of the, the biologist and the fish. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think that might be coming up. Is it coming up? Oh, I, don't, I didn't look far enough ahead. <laughs> it's coming up. It's coming up. Just, I'm just planning it in your brain. Something to do with the fish. Yes. <laughs> don't, don't get too far ahead. That's what the study of the human body did. Well, when we look at Ezra, right, as he was um, in, in the context of the verse, right, he didn't just study the word, he devoted his heart to studying it. He was a man who set his heart to study the law of the Lord. And he focused his mental faculties so he could consider, understand, and internalize the word of God. So his goal was to find out what did it mean. And when you place yourself under the authority of Scripture, thinking about our posture, um, we naturally want to apply exegesis. We believe that the meaning, the words of God are there. And we allow the Bible to speak for itself. So it does involve, uh, we have to set aside our own agenda, our own bias, our own desires to have it say, you know, whatever. It's specifically, if I get into a discussion with somebody about what the scriptures mean, and I have a, my view, and they have theirs, and I think, well, let's study it. Well, what am I not, naturally, I'm going to go and just, what proves my point, Right? So it's good to just say, okay, why do they believe? What, why are they coming? How are they reaching their conclusion? And try and study it. Um, in a sense, try and understand like, how could a person have that view? What is the evidence before you, you reject it out of hand? So, but the golden rule there, a text cannot mean what it never meant. Or to say another way, a text can never mean what it could not have meant to its original readers or authors. So that's kind of what we're talking about in the sense that we never seek to bring the Bible forward and interpret what it means today. We always seek to go back, what did it mean when it was written, original author to the original author. Okay. 
All right, so we're gonna, we'll, next time we'll keep going in the sense of how do we read and observe before we get into reflecting. And so, yeah, I just encourage you this week, pay close attention, right? Don't just read, but study as you, as you have your time in the Word. And uh, let's pray before we go on today. Father, we give you thanks for a good time of discussion on your Word. And we've talked about just the many difficulties we have as fallen and sinful humans, um, as people who are just distracted and led astray by our own desires, but pray that your Holy Spirit, as you have created in us uh, a new person, a new soul that loves you, that desires to know you, to be like you, to be made into your image, that you would help us to uh, put off the things that would distract us from what you say in your word, help us to be in a position to receive and to read and to study your word, to interpret and to know what it says. I pray that you be with us this week and especially today as we continue to worship you in Jesus' name.